Where is heaven? Did you know that there's a difference between the heaven that we experience once we die from the heaven that will be at the new creation in Revelation 21? Join us as we begin a brand new series entitled Heaven, Our Eternal Home on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. So grab your copy of your Bibles and turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-10 through 10, and Revelation chapter 21, verses 1-8. through 8. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. is we've reached about the midway point of Acts. We're going to take a break from Acts for a little while, and we're going to look at a series on heaven. In fact, God has been uh, leading me to do this series for quite some time, but I never just really got the clearance from the Holy Spirit to do it until just now. In fact, uh, he's impressed. I don't know why, but he's impressed this series upon my heart. Originally, I was going to do it after Acts, but he's impressed this series upon my heart so strongly that uh, I felt the need to do it now in the midway segment of uh, the book of Acts. So once we go through this series, we're going to uh, go back to the book of Acts and finish that out as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. But uh, in this series, we're going to have a 12, probably about a 12-week series on heaven. And we're going to look at several different things on heaven. We're going to look at uh, things about like the resurrected body we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is that going to be like? as we're promised to have a resurrection like Jesus' own resurrection was. What's, uh, what can we expect to see in heaven? What are the scenes we're going to see? In fact, a lot of people have been asking me questions, and, and in fact, uh, one, one wonderful question that I received is, what will God look like? Is he an old man with a beard? You know, you've seen Michelangelo's uh, portraits of, you know, the, remember this creation where you have God doing this number and David doing this number and, you know, they're pointing fingers and God is with this long beard? Is that what God looks like? What does God look like? We're going to look at that here in a few weeks. We're going to look at several different things. Near-death experiences. Are they real? 
What can we take from them if they are real? And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at several different issues. And but finally, and the, finally, the capstone of the series, the very last message of the series, is how can you know that you're going to heaven? That's going to be the last message of the series. But today we're going to ask a question: Where is heaven? Where is heaven? Recently, I watched a movie where uh, it's a, it was a comedy. You've probably seen it before. Where this uh, this group of guys, their uh, their, their beloved coach dies, and they they basically go back and uh, give the funeral of this coach, and they relive some of their 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 uh, boyhood days as they had together with their families. And at the very opening of the movie, this man, uh, his, his daughter, receives word that this coach has died. And so she gets in this car, she wrecks the car, and she apologizes to her dad. She says, I got a phone call, and they said that your coach went to heaven. I wanted to drive to heaven to bring him back to you so you wouldn't be sad. Well, is heaven a place where we can drive to? Is it a place where you can take a plane to get to? Uh, can you load up on a rocket ship and, and go to a different planet or something like that? Where is heaven? Well, beloved, we see in the pages of Scripture that there is a heaven now and there is a heaven in the future. There is a heaven that we experience now when we leave this body of flesh and that's the, what Jesus calls paradise. But there's also what we see in the book of Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth that is to come at the end of time. So we want to begin looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to turn back to the back of the book in Revelation chapter 21, looking at verses 1 through 8. And we encourage everyone who can and is able to, to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Now, to set, this, to set this in motion, in 2 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, let me just say, met many of the same questions that we have today. And as a matter of fact, the church of Corinth was, was, was almost like a modern church. They were met with all types of philosophies. They were met with all types of worldviews. They were, they were bombarded with, with all different types of opinions. And, and Paul, what he basically does is he goes back to the authority of the Word of God and says, listen... This is the authority of God. This is the revelation of God. And he even talks about in chapter 4, verses 16 through the end of chapter 4, how they have uh, went through all of these different things, but all of these things are but light affliction, you see, in verse 17, which is for a moment, but is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then he goes into chapter 5. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent... This word tent, he's referring to the body, this tabernacle which we're in. Okay, So if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desire to be clothed. Okay, so in this verse two, we're desired to be clothed, which what he's alluding to in this fact is that when we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord, but that's not the final state. That's not the final hope. The final hope of all things is this resurrected body that we'll have when Christ returns and captures up, raptures up this church. That's the final state that's to be hoped for. So we groan earnestly, desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Again, referring to the state uh, of, of existence outside the body. 
For if we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, this mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he who has prepared us for this very good thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body, to be present and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is talking about the current state of heaven, looking forward to that resurrection body. Now, let's take a look at chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, verses 1 through 8. I'll give you time to flip over there. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. John, seeing this vision of heaven, writes in one of the last chapters, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away, aren't you happy to hear this? God is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. In fact, I believe death will not be in our vocabulary in heaven. Amen? Why would you need the word death when it doesn't exist anymore? Death will die, (laughs) quite honestly. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done, or it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, or be my people. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glimpse of heaven. And Lord, while the analogies we use, the words that we speak are going to pale in comparison to the actual reality that is heaven, we thank you for the promises that you give us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the promises of the heaven that we have awaiting us now and the heaven that is coming at that new creation when you raise all things back to life, back to the way you intended them to be. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you for all the things that you do and all the things you're going to do. And we just simply ask, Lord, that you anoint me this morning. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
Tommy Side shared a story a few weeks ago in Bible study uh, that I have, to, I have to share. It's too good not to. It's, it's the story of these three friends who made their way up to heaven. And they, uh, they go into heaven and they're greeted by St. Peter. And St. Peter says, welcome to heaven, boys. He said, uh, you're going to love this place, but we do have one rule that you need to abide by. Don't step on a duck. Whatever you do, don't step on a duck. We have one problem here in heaven. We have a bunch of ducks. And if you step on a duck, it's going to start quacking. And it's going to make all these other ducks start quacking. And before you know it, it's going to drive everybody in crazy. So don't step on a duck. There is a penalty if you step on a duck. Well, the first friend steps in there, and he doesn't realize how many ducks there are. He steps on a duck. It quacks. The other ducks start quacking. Before you know it, Simon Peter brings this, this witchy-looking woman. I mean, she bless her heart. She's just as, as ugly as sin. And, and handcuffs this woman to the man's uh, wrist and say, Off you go, he says, Simon Peter says. Well, the second guy, he, uh, he does the same. He's, he's, uh, he's stepping around these ducks, trying not to step on one. And, 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 but he accidentally steps on the tail of a duck. It starts quacking. The other ducks start quacking. And Simon Peter brings in this huge bodybuilder Amazon woman, seven foot tall. I mean, this woman's enormous. And, and handcuffs him to this woman. She drags him off. Uh, he, he can barely even stand. Well, the third friend is even more careful. He says, man, I've got to really be careful. So he makes it all the way through these ducks without stepping on one. And before you know it, here comes Simon Peter. And Simon Peter handcuffs him to this woman who was one of the most beautiful women this man has ever seen. And this man says, my goodness, what did I deserve to, to have this, to have you attached to me? And the woman says, I don't know about you, but I stepped on a duck. <laughs> Thankfully, Tommy, praise the Lord, there's not going to be any duck problems. Amen? <laughs> we have... Uh, <laughs> Several different viewpoints on heaven. But as we go through this series, I mean, I'm sure we've heard many different things. But, but I, I'm, a, I'm a biblicist, which means I hold to the authority of what God's Word says. And so what we want to do through this is we want to look at what God's Word says and through this. Elmer Towns, one of the founders of Liberty University, used to always say, when it comes to Scripture, the literal sense makes the most sense unless it's nonsense. And what that means is when we take the Scripture by what it says, we need to understand what it says. Now, there are some metaphors, there are some analogies, and we need to understand those things. But when we have promises of Scripture, we need to take those promises seriously. And so what we see that in this, the, the revelation of God, that we see this great depiction of heaven. That there is a heaven now that Jesus calls paradise. Uh, he other, also calls it Abraham's bosom in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, there is this heaven that we experience now. But that's not the final heaven. That's not all she wrote. In fact, I'm going to probably referencing Bob Deal's uh, line, which I love. He said this in Bible study. Folks, if you're not coming to Bible study, you're missing out on a good time. We have a good time on Bible study. He said some very wise words. For the Christian, times are going to get bad. They're probably going to get worse. But eventually, they're going to get better. But then I would also add, they're going to get even better still. Because only God could make heaven even more heavenly than heaven. And you're going to see that happen as we move through this series. Today we want to ask a simple question. Where is heaven? Where is heaven now and where will heaven be at the new creation? And we want to look back at 2 Corinthians. We're going to be referring to other passages of Scripture. We're going to look at the location of the present heaven. And we're going to see three 
aspects of this present heaven. Then we're going to look at the location of the future heaven in Revelation 21. And we're going to look at five different characteristics or aspects of that heaven uh, coming forth. Number one, the location of the present heaven. Where is heaven now? What happens to a person when a person dies? Now, there are many different opinions out there. Some, some people believe what's called a soul sleep. Some people believe that when you die, you just go unconscious until the time that Christ returns, and then you just are awakened at that time. Other people believe so much in the connectivity of the soul and, and the body that once a person dies, they just cease to exist until the time of the resurrection. But what does the Word of God say? That's our authority, amen? Amen? The authority is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say in this regard? Well, we see quite clearly that the Bible tells us in verse 1 and in verse 8 that the present heaven is located in a divine state. It is where God is. For instance, you see verse 1, this tent is destroyed. Paul, again, keep this in context, is talking about the suffering that he and the other apostles are experiencing. But he says this is all light afflictions because if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from this body is to be present with who? Who is that? One more time. Who's that? The Lord. So this is a divine state. In fact, beloved, even though it's not as explicit, the Old Testament tells us the same thing. In Ecclesiastes 12, 7, Solomon writes, The dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. You see, all of us are created what's called imagio Dei, in the image of God. We have a divine spark in us. We have the Spirit of God, which is an eternal conscious energy, if you want to call it that, that, uh, that does not die. And once we uh, have this relationship with Christ, we are ushered into the very presence of God upon our death. And Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus teaches, you remember that parable? You remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus was a faithful man who loved God, but he, didn't, he, was, he was poor as Joe's turkey, wasn't he? He didn't have anything in life. He really was. He was poor as Joe's turkey. And uh, he, had all, he had all these bad things happening to him. But you had this rich man here on this other hand who had a lot of the worldly things, but uh, he didn't have faith in God. Look what happens in that parable. Where does Jesus say the rich, the, the rich man goes? He goes into a hell-like place. A place absent from the presence of God. But where does Lazarus go? Any takers? Ta what was it? Heaven, absolutely. He's taken to Abraham's bosom, he says. And he experiences the bliss and glories of heaven. Uh, and, and this isn't the final heaven, understand. But this is a divine place we see. When a believer dies, he or she goes before the presence of God. Understand, we can take comfort... If you've lost a loved one, you know, going into uh, funerals and things of this nature, the, the, blessed, the only hope we have is this hope that we have eternal life in God. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you what, the, the ministry would be the most depressing job in the world. Funeral here, funeral there, no hope for eternal life whatsoever. Oh my goodness, that'd be awful. But the hope we have is that we have life beyond this one. That to be absent from this body is to be ever present with the Lord. But we also see that this presently located in a spiritual state. 
In verses 2 through 5, Paul describes how individuals desire to be clothed. While we are in heaven, it's going to be a spiritual state. We are still awaiting that final resurrection. Here's why. The physical body's not bad. Now, the Bible uses illustrations like flesh representing the sin nature. But when God made creation, what did he call it? Good. Absolutely. So what God is going to do is he is going to recreate everything back to the intentional status that he had at the beginning. And so, but right now, while we're awaiting the return of Christ, when we, when we exit this place, we're going to go into a spiritual state. In verses, uh, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verses 2 through 4, many people believe that this is Paul's own near-death experience. We're going to look at this a little bit later on. And he talks about going to this third heaven. Now, where is the third heaven? Well, the ancients understood the first heaven, to be the atmosphere around the earth. If you go in a plane and you travel in a plane, you're going in the first heaven. That's where the atmosphere is. The second heaven is the universe all around, the physical, material universe all around us. But the third heaven is this spiritual dimension where God's power resides, where He and the holy angels, where the saints of bygone years are. This is this third heaven. Now, heaven is in a spiritual state. But understand, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there because there is a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18, that I'm going to tell you what, it gets good. And I don't know when that day is going to come, but it's going to come very soon because Paul writes... For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, metaphorically referring to those in the presence of God. For we say to you by a word from the Lord, we who are alive and remain at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Amen? With a shout. With the archangel's voice and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's where we get this word rapture. Caught up to be with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging to me. To one day know that Christ is going to return and all these caskets back here... You know, we spend a lot of money on caskets, but I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be split wide open because the dead in Christ are going to rise. That's the promise of Scripture. Jesus said, just as Jesus was risen from the dead, so shall we be risen from the dead with bodies that are going to be unlike anything you can ever imagine in your wildest imaginations, beloved. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be limitless in the things you can do. Have you ever wanted to go exploring? Now, I'm not the bravest person in the world. In fact, Jennifer and I, we went to uh, the mountains one time, the Grandfather Mountain. And she's more adventurous than I am. She'd get on the edge of that cliff, and she'd do this number. Looking down there, and it's way on down there. And I was looking down there from about this far back. You go ahead and enjoy that view there, honey. It looks perfectly fine from here. I don't want to get any closer than that. But can you imagine a state where, where there's going to be no more death, where you don't have to worry about injury, diabetes, heart disease, or anything more like that? When we bury our loved ones, don't think that their body is gone forever because, in fact, the promise of Scripture is that just as Jesus has been risen from the dead, He is the first fruits, the Bible says, of the resurrection, so shall we also experience a similar resurrection. We also see that this is a living state in verses 6 through 10. Notice he says that we're confident 
that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight, meaning that this place that we go, this present heaven, is going to be a place where we can see the Lord in all of His grandeur. Uh, we're confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Living aspect there, we'll be conscious, we'll be living. And he says, uh, in, for instance, in verse 10, he makes the illusion that it's perhaps at this time that we face the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe at that time, maybe in the present heaven now, we don't know, we'll have to wait and see. But what we do see is that this is a living place. This is a living place. Paul, uh, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus taught Martha. Uh, Jesus taught Martha a very important principle when Lazarus died. You remember the story in John chapter 11? Martha was distraught because her brother had died. And she was aggravated at Jesus because she saw Jesus heal and raise all these people from the dead. He had done all these wonders, all these miracles. And she said to Jesus, Jesus, if you had only been here, you could have healed him and he would not have died. Jesus had an important message for her that day. Do you remember that message? He says, he says to her, he says, uh, Lazarus is not dead. He will rise again. And she says, Jesus, I, I know the story. I know my theology. I know that in the end of time, he, he's going to rise from the dead. I understand that. Jesus says, no, Martha, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And I tell you, the one who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And remember what Martha said, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you're the Messiah. Jesus also tells the man on the cross, do you remember this story? Where the man on the cross is hanging there with Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said at that time? Anybody remember? Say it one more time. Today you will be with me in paradise. You sure he didn't say tomorrow or the end of time or any other time like that? No, he says today you will be with me in paradise. Which shows us that this is a living, breathing place that we are, when we are in heaven with God, when we leave this body of flesh behind, we are ushered into the very presence of Almighty God. So I want to tell you something. Now, I, I'm not going to be overconfident because I understand when we face death, it's a fearful thing. We have anxiety. Well, it's not fearful. Let me take that back. We're anxious because we're facing something with which we've never faced before. Uh, it's like going with Jennifer that time. I think I've told you the story. I'm not a daredevil by any means. Remember that story I told you one time before uh, that I tried to be brave on one of our dates and we went to Carowinds and she took me on this vortex and I went on the top of this thing and I looked down and I said, Lord Jesus, what did I do? And before I know it, I was all over. You know, There was anxiety there because I didn't know what was coming ahead because that was a new experience, one that I don't care to repeat anytime soon. Thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, for the Christian, it is really a win-win situation. We really don't have anything to fear. Yes, we'll be anxious when the time comes. I'm not trying to be a, some super spiritual hero saying there's not going to be anxieties. Of course there will. But we don't have anything to fear. Because when we leave this body of flesh behind, we are going to be ever-present with the Lord. But it doesn't end there. Only God could take heaven and make it even better. And that's exactly what he does. Because turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. There's going to be a future heaven. 
There's going to be a time, the promise of Scripture is, that God has saved our souls, and there's going to be a time where God is going to raise this body back to life, and it's going to be a brand new resurrected body unlike anything any of us could ever fathom in our wildest imaginations. But where is this new heaven going to be? Well, it's going to be five things we're going to look at. Number one, it's going to be a new location. It's going to be at a new location. Now, some people believe that uh, heaven is going to be here on earth, that heaven's going to come down and this earth will be heaven. And that's all right if you believe this, but there's a reason I don't accept that, and here's why. Verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. That means... That when God the Father steps foot on the scene, Peter tells us what's going to happen in 2 Peter. If you want to turn there, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will melt away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Do you know why you can't see God right now? Because you couldn't take it. Because when God the Father steps foot on this creation, the molecular structure of this universe is going to melt away, is what the Bible tells us. When God steps foot on this universe and He recreates all things, all this physical world is going to dissolve like butter, <laughs> like a hot knife through butter. That's the power of Almighty God, and that's why you have to be saved to be able to see God. You couldn't take it any other way uh, because God's protecting us. You know, sin is not something that infects God. His holiness is so powerful that it eradicates sin at the very presence of it. If you don't believe, it's almost like you've ever seen that movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember the scene of the, the Ark of the Covenant when they're, they're there and they, they're seeing the glory of God coming out of this ark and they all melt away? That's not too far from the truth, friend. That's exactly the same image we get here. When God the Father steps foot on the scene, everything is going to melt away at His presence because He's just that powerful. But what we see is that this new heaven, a new earth, is going to be a new creation. In fact, some good friends of ours, in fact, we're related to them, Jennifer's cousin Sherry, her and her husband Jimmy, they built a beautiful house. They, were, they had this house they built, and they were trying to build onto it, but they couldn't quite get it to work. So what they did is they raised the house down and they rebuilt it upon where it stood. I believe God is going to do the same thing. He's going to wipe away the old creation and He's going to build a brand new creation. A brand new creation. Uh, so this is what we see. Number two, it's going to be a physical location. Uh, we see that there is a holy city, a new Jerusalem. We see that God is going to be with men and men with God, with uh, His people and are, are together. We see that this is a new creation. Uh, we'll have new resurrected bodies by this time. And in fact, we're going to have new, I believe, laws of nature. God is going to recreate everything when this time comes. I believe there are going to be new laws of nature. In fact, uh, a former pastor of mine, Clay Brown, he used to say that he believed, Now, I don't know that we can prove this biblically, but I believe, he said he believed that the resurrection body is going to be so powerful that you could think of being somewhere and be there. It may be, that may be true. There are going to be new laws of nature in this place. It's also, in verse 3, going to be a divine location. You know, while we have a relationship with God, while we have that personal relationship with God, we realize that we would love to be more in His presence. We know His Holy Spirit's here with us, but man, what it would be like to just be able to see Jesus before us, even right now. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
If Jesus were just to suddenly appear and walk down the aisles and we could all just shake his hand and give him a hug. I don't know about you, but I'll be giving him a hug <laughs> when I see him. Wouldn't that be amazing to do? What if God the Father, and we know we wouldn't melt away, uh, we could stand before the presence of God Almighty and see Him in all of His glory and power? Well, that day's coming, friend. Hold tight. The day's coming where you will be in His presence and He will be in your presence and there will be nothing that will separate you from God. We also see in verse 4 that this is going to be a beautiful location. Look what he says, the description. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more pain. No more, no more reason to cry. No more reason to have anxiety or fear or anything of the sort. There's going to be no more tears in heaven. He said that uh, uh, there, there shall be no more death. Death will not exist. Death itself will have died. Isn't that going to be amazing to live life without worrying about death? I mean, everything we do, we do to try to keep from dying. We eat, so we keep from dying. We, we have a house, so we keep from dying. Everything we do, we do to survive. But what's it going to be like when death is no more? That's the promise we have of Scripture. No sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This place is going to be absolutely beautiful. I've heard many people say, and I believe it's true, that we may experience even more colors in heaven that we can even see. You know, as far as colors go, colors are light reflected off things. And so we see different wavelengths. But you realize that our eyes can only pick up a very small spectrum of what's actually in, exists, in existence, what actually exists. We can see only a small segment of infrared red colors. We can see only a small segment of ultraviolet rays. There's a whole spectrum that goes on either direction that we can't see. I believe that we're going to have colors that we're going to see in heaven that we can't even describe now. I mean, I don't know what you're going to call them, but I believe that we're going to see things there that we could never, ever in our wildest imaginations ever consider, ever, ever fathom. And last but certainly not least, we see that it's a national location. John describes that this is a place that has a capital city. The new Jerusalem is not all of heaven. It's the capital city of heaven. And it's enormous. And outside this capital city you see a new creation, a new earth, a new universe that God has created. Uh, there, there are going to be citizens of this place. We see the individuals who are there and the individuals who are not there. How do you know that you're going to heaven? If your names are written on the Lamb's book of life. That's how you know. Well, how do you know that your name is written on the Lamb's book of life? You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your name is written on the Lamb's book of life. Your ticket has been punched. It's like, uh, you, you know, you, have you ever reserved a hotel and you get the confirmation that your hotel was reserved at a certain time, a certain period? You already have your confirmation in through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the guarantee. If you have the Holy Spirit and you have salvation in your life, you have the promise of eternal life that you have a place in heaven with God. Let me close with this. Friend, this is just only the beginning. <laughs> There's a lot more we're going to explore in this series. But let me just tell you this. A few years back before coming to Huntsville, I went through a situation in my life, not going to go through all the details of it, but it was very, very difficult. One of the most difficult things I've ever experienced in life. But I want to tell you, I, I had a lot of anxiety, had a lot of issues going on, but I prayed that God would help me through it. And I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit came down upon me in a way that I've never experienced before in my life. 
And at that moment, for a few moments, I, I experienced the, the, the bliss of God. I experienced the, the grace of God in a way that, that I, I can't even hardly describe. And I think to myself, if God gave me that experience, that's just a foretaste of the things awaiting us in heaven. Folks, you take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all those fruits of the Spirit. You take that and you multiply that times a billion and you're still not coming close to what heaven's going to be like. Perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect goodness, perfect in every way. Our minds cannot even wrap around that concept. Even our analogies to try to describe heaven pale in comparison to what heaven is going to be like. So the thing I leave with you today are two things. One, do you know that you're going there? That's the most important thing. Do you know that you're going there? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? And two, if you have, what do we really have to worry about in life? Amen? There's a lot of things that, that worry us. There are a lot of news stories that worry us. There's a lot of things going on. But if we understand the promises of heaven, and that they are true, they are just as real as Christ's resurrection. If we understand the reality of heaven, then there's really nothing to worry about at all. To live as Christ, to die as gain, we're really a winner either way. Amen? So there we head bowed and every eye closed. I know you smell the chili and I know you smell the pinto beans. I know you're ready to go to town on that. But let's just pause for a few moments. I want to make sure if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't leave this place till you know that your salvation is sure. Don't leave this place until you've called upon the name of Jesus, asking Him to be your Savior. The Bible tells us uh, in Roman, you know, Romans 10, 9, that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So friend, if you're here today and you've never received the Lord as your Savior, what are you waiting for? This is the promise that God has given His people. So if you, we would just encourage you to come today and receive Him before it's eternally too late. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with some issues. The pintos and chili, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. They'll be there. But maybe you want to lay those problems at the foot of the cross. We encourage you to do that. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart, we just encourage you to respond according to the Holy Spirit's call. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we felt your spirit so strongly here this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would just bless and anoint each and every person that's here this morning, each and every person here in the sound of my voice. We ask, dear Lord, that you would grant unto each person who is a believer in today the assurance of their salvation, the assurance that heaven is awaiting them, that really in this life expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved.
The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Manson Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.